0: If you have in the past or are currently serving in our military armed forces in any capacity, any branch, and if you are a first responder, could you please stand? We would like to thank you and honor you. Come on, stand. All of our locations, stand. Let's thank them. Thank you. Thank you. We are here because of you, because of people like you. Thank you. I want us to take an opportunity on this Memorial Day weekend, just a natural opportunity for us to take a moment to pray for our country. I want to challenge you to be a grateful American. I want to encourage you. To lay aside your opinions, your critiques, your criticisms about who's in charge and what they're doing and what you don't like and what you agree with and what you think and your opinions and all that, just lay all that aside because here's the deal. Regardless of what you like and what you don't like, you have so much to be thankful for. doesn't matter who you voted for. doesn't matter if you agree, disagree, lay all of that aside. And let's take a moment to ask God to bless this country and that we would be blessable. And to ask God to give our leaders wisdom, regardless of whether or not you agree, again, whether or not you voted. Doesn't, doesn't those things lay that aside? Be the kind of American that is captivated by the blessings and the awesome life that we get to enjoy as Americans and I know there's issues, I get it I know there's things that are going wrong I get it, but it's kind of always been that way, regardless what generation of Americans you've lived in, I mean we're a pretty young country as it comes to countries, you know, 250 plus years, I mean it's not an awful long time as far as countries go we've always had issues and as long as human beings are in charge, we're going to have issues so let's Focus on the good, the positive. Yes, we'll deal with things as they come, but let's take a moment. And would you join me in praying for our great country and our leaders and being grateful for the men and women who have sacrificed the ultimate to make it possible. Dear Father, thank you for America. What a wonderful blessing it is to be a citizen of this great country. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we take for granted, the freedoms we assume. Thank you. Help us to be positive influences, voices of hope and encouragement. May we not join the sea of negative criticism. Because leading a country like this is not an easy thing. And right now, we ask for your blessing on our leaders. Give wisdom to our president, give wisdom to those that surround him, give wisdom and strength to Congress, governors, leaders on a national, state, and local level. Father, there's lots that's wrong, there's lots of issues. But may we focus on all we have to be grateful for while we're dealing with the issues. May we enjoy the wonderful blessing it is to be called a citizen of the United States of America. And thank you for the men and the women who gave their lives to give us freedom. Thank you for the first responders who put their lives on the line to keep us safe. We thank you and we ask your blessings on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I'm excited to share something with you that I've been chewing on for a while now and kind of wrestling with. And I'm real excited about sharing this with you because I think at this stage in our church, this is one of these things we have to come back to time and time and time again. And maybe today we'll come back to it in a way that you've never really considered but I want to share with you from my heart and what we're going to talk about today has everything to do with who we are as a church, why we exist as a church and why we do what we do the way we do it. For some of you, it could be a reminder. Um, For others of you, this could be brand new information. If you're somewhat new to the summit, maybe this will be new stuff to you, but it's going to be things that we're going to talk about again. So, and if you're New to church in general, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure, this is a great opportunity for you to kind of see behind the curtain. And we know what a a big risk it is to come to a place where you're kind of outnumbered. And we want you to know, we realize that that's a big step. And we thank you for taking the risk. But this is an opportunity for you to kind of see um, the behind the scenes of what what we're really all about and why we exist as a church. And I want to start with a question. It's kind of an in-your-face question, a question that's very uh, personal, but a question that I want you to be thinking about and wrestling with in your mind. And after I give you this question and say a couple things about it, we're going to go a completely different direction, but eventually come back around to this question and, and tie it all together. And here's the question I want you to be considering. Who is far from God but close to you who in your life is far from god but close to you and refrain from pointing to the person next to you okay they're sitting beside me is that close enough and they need jesus <laughs> okay so refrain from that but seriously who is far from god spiritually speaking right not geographically <laughs> like maybe you would say oh man they got issues or, or, man, man, they need some Jesus. I don't know how you would say it. But, okay, you would put them in the category of someone who is searching, doubting, whatever, who's far from God, but they're close to you. They're in your family. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your office. They're in your life. Maybe immediately you know. Or maybe this may take a little thinking on your part. I don't know. Or, unfortunately, there could be some people in here that go, I got nothing. I got nobody that's far from God in my life. Because everybody in my life looks like me, thinks like me, dresses like me, eats like me, votes like me. I've just surrounded my life with people like me. And you laugh, but that is a very common common thing we 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 tend to do that and that's a problem and i want to challenge that because as christians we christians we do this we we kind of create a christian bubble for ourselves and and we create a a kind of a christian subculture for ourselves so that we surround ourselves with people that agree with us and we agree with them and all of that you know we kind of insulate ourselves from the big bad world and isolate ourselves from all those big bad mean people out there that voted differently than we voted and all that kind of stuff so I want want to challenge you to not fall into that trap. But you got to answer this question. Who's far from God but close to me? And if you don't have enough people in your life that are far from God, you need some worse friends. Because, see, this has everything to do with your mission in life and my mission in life and the mission of our church. It's a huge part of what it means to be receiving the love of Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus. Who needs to receive and share the love of Jesus? Well, all of us. But especially when we find ourselves far from God. Who is far from God but close to you? Right, be thinking about that. And be thinking about that and thinking of the people and seeing their picture kind of in your mind. And hang with me for a few minutes. I want to take you back to the first century and, and talk about something I think is absolutely fascinating. In the first century, in the first church of the first century, there were... A couple of guys in particular I'm going to focus on today that were leaders and movers and shakers in that first century church. One of them is Peter, one of them is John. Peter and John were friends. They were two of the 12 disciples that spent three and a half years with Jesus. And the fact in the first century, just the reality that Peter and John were leaders in the first church and movers and shakers in this movement of God that's called the local church there in the first century, just the fact that they were at the party, just the fact that they were involved is an amazing reality when you consider it. Because remember, just a few days before, just a few weeks earlier, Peter had denied Jesus and and deserted Jesus. After spending three plus years with Jesus, you're like, nah, I don't know him, And and went into hiding And John, even though he hung around a little bit longer and he and Jesus were a little closer, after Jesus died, he also went into hiding. And so you got a couple of guys that were, for lack of a better term, deserters, betrayed Jesus as far as loyalty goes. Now they're in charge and they're leading the charge of this movement called the local church. What made the difference? What changed those dudes? I'll tell you what it was. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's no other explanation that's reasonable that would explain why a guy that denied he knew Jesus and both of them kind of deserters, you know, oh man, that was a good run, but he died. I guess it's over. They'd forgotten the fact that he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and then suddenly Jesus rose from the grave just like he said he would, and now he's standing in front of Peter and John having a conversation. They're having breakfast on the beach. They're talking about you know the good old days and what the future looks like and all that kind of stuff. That'll change you right there. I mean, when you start having breakfast with someone that was dead just a couple of days ago, that'll have an impact on your life. There's no other explanation really for... What the local church experienced, the local church, you could say, is a miracle in and of itself. No other reasonable explanation for why there were just a handful of Jesus followers. And then after the resurrection, that went from a handful just a few weeks later to thousands, not 20, not hundreds, but thousands thousands within just a handful of weeks with no mass marketing and no technology and no internet, no social media. Wow. How do you explain that? The resurrection. How do you explain how the local church thrived in those first years without a Bible? You know, the Bible wasn't collected together as a, you know, like a book. We call it a book. It's a collection of books, actually, a collection of letters and documents. But that didn't happen until the late 4th century. And so for the first 300 years or so, how do you explain the explosive growth when they couldn't gather up and do deep Bible studies and all this kind of stuff? You know, how in the world did the church grow? The way they did, probably faster than the church has ever grown at any point in history. Well, because you got a bunch of guys that saw a dead man come back to life. And they were just sharing that with people the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. It's the only reasonable explanation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only reasonable explanation for why and how the local church has survived millennia of change and opposition and transition. It's the only thing that makes sense. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that still to this day, that is what makes what we do matter. And that's why we do what we do the way we do it. It's a fact. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, Peter and John was sharing that information in the first century with a group of people, actually with a lot of people, just sharing with them what they experienced, and it caused a big ruckus, because see, the religious leaders of the day didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't buy the resurrection thing. They didn't even though hundreds of people And at one time, 500 people at one time saw Jesus in the flesh after the resurrection. So this was well-documented, eyewitnesses everywhere. There's still a group of, you know, religious leaders are like, I don't know, we don't, and we don't like this Jesus stuff. And so they got so upset at what Peter and John were saying about Jesus. They had them arrested brought in for questioning, interrogation, and they grilled Peter and John on why are you saying these things about Jesus and why are you challenging people to put their trust in Jesus and follow Jesus? And Peter and John would try to explain to them, well, see, he was dead. You killed him, you know, and he died for our sins and he's back. We saw him and all these people. And it's just like, it just infuriated the religious leaders. And finally, this is what Peter said. Peter said, there is, let me see, we got it? What did Peter say? What did Peter? Peter said this. Yeah, I forgot to lick my finger. Here we go. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Who's he talking about? talking about Jesus. After telling them about the resurrection, Peter said, he's the guy. He's it. There's nobody else that you can be saved through. There's no other name. There's no other person. It's all about him. And This just infuriated the religious leaders. So they got Peter and John together and they said, you guys need to shut up. You guys need to stop this nonsense. Look, let's keep going. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Like, wow. For they could see that these were ordinary men. Not special, no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with. Jesus, not just men who had hung out with Jesus, not just guys who had spent three years doing life with Jesus, but they saw something different in Peter and John. They noticed them as men whose lives have been changed and transformed somehow. And your life doesn't change. You get transformed because you had a good friend and your friend dies. No, your life gets changed and transformed when your good friend dies and comes back from the dead. And they realized, wait a second, we're playing with something much, we're messing with something much bigger here than what we realize. They saw them as ordinary men that had had an extraordinary change because they had been with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then those uh, religious leaders spoke very harshly with Peter and John. You read all about it there in Acts in the New Testament. And they threatened him. Said, you boys better cut this out. Stop talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear you mention Jesus anymore. And this is what they said. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey obey you rather than him? Who are you? I love this next part. We cannot stop telling everything we have seen and heard. We cannot stop. You expect us to stop? We can't stop. We can't stop telling you everything we've seen and heard. We don't got okay, to come back from the dead. We're not going to shut up about that. We th- our lives have been changed. We, we we cannot stop telling you everything we've seen and everything we've heard. And so they didn't. They were threatened, but they let them go cuz they didn't want to start a riot. And so they continued telling them everything they'd seen and everything they had heard. To this day, the most effective way to share the love of Jesus with people. Are you ready? is to simply tell them everything you've seen and everything you've heard. If you're a follower of Jesus, the most effective way to tell people what God wants to do in their life and to help them experience this is to simply do the very same thing. There's not, nothing better, nothing more effective than to simply tell people everything you've seen and everything you've heard. It's essentially your story, what God has done in your life. See, you're an expert on your story. You may not like your story, but you know your story. You may not understand everything that's happened in your story, but you know your story. And nobody knows better than you the effect that the resurrected Messiah has had in your life than you, which is fascinating to me because in our culture, we're told that there's two things you just don't talk about, God and politics. We have no problem talking about politics anyway, right? And people are free about that. Hey, it hit me the other day. I was watching the news. I don't watch the news much because it just puts you in a bad mood. I was watching the news and I realized they're not really telling us much of what's happening. They're just commentating. They're just commentary on everything. A little bit of information of what's happening and then most of it is just them giving us their opinions on what has happened, which I don't know why I wanted to tell you that, but Interesting. Interesting. The most effective thing still today is to tell people simply what has happened to you. You are an expert on your story. And even though culture says, you don't talk about God in politics, (laughs) why not? Why not? When the most unbelievable thing has happened to you, isn't it natural to share it? When something has changed your life, isn't it just natural to share it? And when you have the most amazing message to tell, why not just tell it? And you don't have to be an expert. Peter and John weren't experts. They were just guys who had had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And even though you weren't physically there and I, were not physically, I was not physically there and even though we've not been able to see and touch Jesus like they could see and touch Jesus, through the power of his spirit, we can experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives. And then we can join them and say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I've experienced. Now here's where it gets interesting. Follow with me. Again, I want you to keep thinking, who's far from God but close to you? Who's far from God but close to me? Who's far from God but close to me? And the best way to help them take their steps to get close to God is you just telling them your story, everything you've seen, everything you've heard. The best way. Now, a lot of local churches would say, that's what we're about. But here's what happens. And it happened in the first century, and I'll show you. But it still happens today. It doesn't take a lot of time. Eventually, what happens is we complicate things because that's what humans do. We complicate stuff. We make things that are simple, hard. It just happens. We complicate relationships. We complicate money. We complicate jobs. We complicate spirituality. We complicate Jesus. We just complicate things. We add stuff and we change stuff and we just layer it up. That's just what we do. It's a human nature kind of curse kind of thing. And so when it comes to a local church... A lot of people say, yeah, that's what we're here to just share what Jesus has done in our lives. But eventually, if you're not careful, and it happens to every church if they're not careful, churches and Christians begin to turn inside and focus on themselves. It's human nature. And eventually, even though we say we're about helping people that are far from God but are close to us take their next steps, Churches become about a whole lot of other different things than that simple mission. We become about our traditions. We become about the stuff that Christians like and that Christians understand and that Christians want and that Christians enjoy. And guess who gets left out of the equation? People that are far from God. Eventually, we begin to make church and the mission about insiders. It's a natural progression that every church has to be careful of, including this one. And before long, we turn around, and those that are far from God have been left out, forgotten, and they find it very hard to connect to this simple mission of Jesus. See, it started out with Peter and John just saying, we're just going to tell you what we've seen, and we're going to tell you what we've heard, and we can't stop talking about it because it's so changed our life. And then over time, things had gotten complicated. We complicated them. And in the first century, same thing happened. Let me just give you an example. A few years after this, the church was continuing to grow, the local church, thousands and thousands and thousands of people And there became this issue, this issue that arose, and it was such a big issue, they decided to hold a big meeting. All the church leaders get together from all the area and have a big meeting to discuss what they're going to do about this issue. And they called together what is now known in history as the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was convened to discuss and talk about the issue of whether or not people had to become Jewish in order to become Christian. That's the question. If people want to become followers of Jesus, do they also have to become Jewish? Because Jesus was Jew. Peter's a Jew. John's a Jew. The disciples were Jews. Most of Jesus' first followers were Jews. All of them, I mean, initially were Jews. So, I mean, if we're going to follow Jesus, I mean, does that mean, and a lot of people thought, a lot of people thought and taught. And it was very divisive. See, they let, this is not what Jesus taught. This is not what Jesus said. This is what they added to what Jesus said that just made it all complicated, made it more difficult. Well, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to be Jewish too. Now see, if you're not Jewish, that's a problem. Because back then, being Jewish carried all kinds of baggage with it. There's all these traditions now. Okay? All these rituals. Certain foods you can eat and can not eat at certain times, and there's the whole circumcision thing. (laughs) I mean, think about it. I mean, that's kind of bad for publicity. You want to follow Jesus? And the dude says, yeah. Oh, well, there's that surgery thing. It's outpatient, though. You'll be home by the end of the day. Right? And the insurance covers it. I could, you know, kind of hurt your marketing. <laughs> I gotta do that. I mean, if you're if you're not Jewish, I mean, see, and see, and they were talking about that and, and really teaching that. Some of you just won't smile. I cannot believe it. <laughs> just lighten up. It's in the Bible. Yeah. So the leaders began to discuss this and there was, it was a heated discussion. Very, very, very serious stuff. Peter spoke up. He said, no, this is not true. This is not right. By this time, the apostle Paul was at the meeting and his life had been changed and he was doing great work for God. And Paul spoke up and said, no, this is not true. This is not what Jesus taught. You not have to be a Jew, you not have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. You don't have to do all the Jewish stuff. Jesus was a Jew, but it's not about becoming a Jew. It's about becoming a follower of Jesus. Barnabas stood up and said very much the same thing. And and back then, the leader of the first church in that first century was a guy by the name of James. James was there leading the meeting. He was the leader of the first church in the first century. James also happened to be the brother of Jesus. Jesus who is also now not just a follower of Jesus, but he's leading the local church to spread the mission of Jesus, which is another, the only you know, way that that is possible is the resurrection, right? I mean, the only way your brother could convince you that he's the son of God is if he died and rose from the grave, right? James was fully convinced. Now he's leading the charge with the local church. And so James being in charge, after hearing all the arguments, this is what he said. This is so awesome. This is so powerful. Look at this. James said, so my judgment after hearing all this about should they become Jewish and all that kind of stuff, we should not make it difficult. For the Gentiles, and the word Gentile is referring to anyone that's not Jewish, any non-Jew person. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. James said, you know what? Here's the bottom line. We got to do everything we can to remove every obstacle. We got to do everything we can to remove every hurdle. For everyone who is far from God, but is close to us, And no, they may not be raised like we were raised. And no, they don't eat the way we eat. And no, they don't have all the traditions and the rituals that we have and all the kinds, but we gotta do everything possible to make sure we don't make it difficult for people who are wanting to turn to Jesus. I wanna say to every person here, and if I had a voice that could be heard, if I in this moment could say one thing to every church gathered, across the nation, across the world, is let's not make it difficult or let's stop making it so dang difficult for people who are wanting to turn to God. In other words, let's make it easy. There's a thought. That's what James is saying. Peter and John had been telling everybody what they had seen and what they had heard, and now just human nature—we made it complicated. We added all this. You got to have that. You got to have the surgery. You can stop eating that and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. Let's stop making it difficult. Let's make it easy for people who are wanting to turn to God as easy as possible. Because here's the truth: somebody's always turning to God. Somebody somewhere is always at a point of making a turn towards God taking their next step towards receiving the love of Jesus and then sharing the love of Jesus with someone else. And so you and I have got to realize that God is always working at all times all around us and join him in that and make it easy for that person. That is far from God but close to you and you stand and sit in a very strategic place in their life and you have an opportunity to make it easy. As easy as possible. That's why here at the summit, we say we're here to do whatever it takes, no matter what it takes, as long as it takes, to help people take their next step in receiving and sharing the love of Jesus, to make it easy. Now, it's got me thinking about what what really makes it difficult. Because we do that, human beings, we make things difficult, we make them harder than they should be. What makes it difficult? Well, you could make the argument that life makes it difficult for people who are trying to turn to God, and, and you would be right. A lot of times life is so hard and so challenging, and people ask those big questions. And we've been talking about them recently, even in the last series, the OMG series. If you missed that, go catch up on that. Because in the beginning of that series, we talked a lot about the, the big questions, you know, how could a good and loving God allow this and all of that? And so that gets in the way of a lot of people, and those are, they're good answers for those things. It doesn't make all the problems go away. Life can get in the way of people turning to God, but eventually that all evens out because it only takes, it's just a matter of time before we realize life is tough for everybody, whether you're a Christian or not. Regardless of where you are on the spiritual spectrum, you're going to have problems, you're going to have issues that you got to work with. And so most people, eventually, that doesn't become an issue. There's a second thing, though, that makes it difficult, and sometimes Christians themselves are the ones that make it difficult For people. Get that. A follower of Jesus making it difficult for someone else to follow Jesus just by the way they live their lives. Now this is a whole different topic for a whole different day, but I'll just touch on it here. Can you imagine? Now now think. Can you imagine being personally responsible for making it more difficult for someone who wants to turn to God from doing so? I don't know about you, But that worries me and bothers me and makes me very nervous to think that that would be me. I don't want that to be me. And I think most of you that are followers of Jesus would shudder at the thought of making it more difficult. But by the way we live our lives, we often do that. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way so that after people spend some time with me, it's just that much easier for them to trust Jesus. It's just that much easier for them to follow Jesus. It's just that much easier for them to put their faith in God after spending time with me. I hope the same is true, not just for me, but for you as well. Often we can make it difficult, but, but the primary thing I want us to focus on is this. Do you know that our churches specifically our church experiences are often the biggest culprit about what it make making it more difficult for people that are turning to god because in our culture okay especially in american culture if someone's wanting to turn to god even if they don't know anything about god or any for- person that follows god they may find themselves wandering into a church maybe a church like this cuz they just you know, it's just an obvious place to give it a shot Maybe God's there. Maybe I'll find out something. And then they show up at a church. And after experiencing what they experience at church, they feel farther away from God than they ever have been. They know less. Now they're more confused and discouraged. And you're like, well, that was no help. Church experience often makes it difficult. And listen very carefully. Some at church, listen very carefully. We must do everything within our power to make it as easy as possible in this place, at this church, for people to take their next step in turning to God. That's why we say that the sermon begins in the parking lot. Because from the time people pull up onto the property or into the parking lot, they're making up their minds whether or not they want to be in this place or whether they like this place. And we want to make sure that from the parking lot all the way into the seat, they have a great experience. And we think about the details and we serve people and we love people and we greet people and we help people because we want to do everything we can to make it easy because making it easy ain't easy. Making it easy is hard. Do you know what's easy? Making it hard. Because that's what most churches do. And you can tell. You come in, you sit down, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do. If you're new, good luck. If you don't know the lingo, you don't know what's that word mean and why are they doing that and why are they standing, why are they sitting, and why are they singing out loud? What the heck is this? Is it somebody's birthday? It's, you know, Are we at the seventh inning stretch? I'm not at a ball game. It's the only time people sing out loud, you know, and what is this and what does it mean? And nobody stops to explain it to them. Have you ever had the feeling where you were, had the experience where you were with, with a friend and you were out maybe going to a movie or walking down the street or something and this friend, had, you know, you guys are hanging out and it's a good friend of yours and then they bump into somebody that they know and you don't know that third party, okay? And, and then the, the person you're with starts talking to them and they, they have their moment and all that kind of stuff and now you're suddenly the third party? And and they're laughing about stuff and you don't know. And you're just like, (laughs) you're thinking, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. And they're talking about experiences that you haven't had. And you feel like the odd man out, right? The third wheel. You're like, why am I even here? That's exactly what a lot of people feel like when they're trying to turn to God and they show up in a church. They're like, "Why, why am I even here? I don't know what they're saying. I don't understand. And nobody's wanting to explain it to me. Nobody's trying to help me understand. I mean, it's just like, wow, I really don't fit in. I'm not coming back. And we just made it difficult for someone who's just wanting to turn to God. That keeps me awake at night. That kind of thought just makes me quiver. I just can't imagine being responsible or being in a church that makes it, is responsible for making it difficult for someone who's turning to God. So let's stop that. Here at the summit, we, we do everything we can to make it easy. Everything we can to make it easy. We care about it. We talk about it. We pray about it. We work through to expect and to plan for people that are far from God to sit in these seats and help them take their next step. Yeah, there may be people that, that look at what we do and they don't understand what we do and they go, oh yeah, well, they just don't go deep enough there. You can, you can go off the deep end all you want, but you'll never get deeper. And telling people what you've seen and heard. Telling people what you've seen and heard and making it easy for them to respond. Making it easy for them to respond. So my invitation to you is to join us. Help us make it easy. Say, great, how do I do that? I'm so glad you asked. Real quick. Serve. You're not serving. Volunteer and serve. Why? Because when you serve, you help us create an irresistible environment and an irresistible experience. So when people get out of their car, they are served, they are loved, they are greeted, they are cared for, and we have no idea what they're going through, but we want them to know you have found a place of hope and help here. You may not understand everything we we believe yet, and you may not understand everything you experience, but we will do everything we can to make it easy for you. We will remove every obstacle and every hurdle by serving you. Don't look around here and assume we have enough people volunteering because I can promise you we do not. We need more people volunteering so that the person that is far from God and close to you experiences an irresistible environment. Secondly, give. Give. Because the church that's committed to making it easy has to be fully resourced because it it takes a lot to create environments, irresistible environments for people. We remove all obstacles and all hindrances in order to create an engaging environment that is excellent with technology, that's interesting, that's engaging to the heart level. Don't assume everybody else is giving because they're not. Matter of fact, 70% of the people in this church don't give anything. Nothing. So, hey, hey, For 70% of you, start somewhere. Help us create a place that is easy for people to take their next steps. And one last challenge. I want you to run your mouth. In a good way. Run your mouth. That's exactly what Peter and John said they were doing. We're not going to stop. You think we're going to stop? We're not going to stop. We can't stop telling everybody what we've seen and heard. We're just going to keep talking it up, talking it up. Tell your story. Tell everybody what you've seen and heard. Run your mouth. Invite like crazy. Don't buy into the lie that you have to keep what's going on in your life spiritually on the down low. Now, you don't want to be obnoxious with it. You don't want to be a jerk about it. And don't be overbearing. But in the right place at the right time, run your mouth. Just talk it up, talk it up, talk it up. Who's far from God but close to you? Let's make it easy for them. Let's make it easy for them to turn to God. Aren't you glad somebody made it easy for you? Let's pray. Our Father, we need your help. We need your power. We need your grace and strength to help us make it easy. It is hard to make it easy. Lord, we want to make it easy to remove every obstacle and every hindrance and every hurdle that gets in the way of people taking their next steps to you. There are people in our life that are far from you, but they are close to us and you put them in our lives so that we could help make it easy for them. You've trusted us, entrusted us with the mission Of making it easy for people to receive the love of Jesus so that they can share the love of Jesus. With people who receive the love of Jesus so that they can share the love of Jesus. With other people who receive the love of Jesus and so that they can share the love of Jesus, help us to serve and give and run our mouths about the great things we've seen and heard and experienced and make it easy for anyone wants to turn to you. And I pray this for me and us and as a church and for every church. In Jesus' name, amen.